0: And welcome to another TMV podcast brought to you by The Muslim Vibe As always, I'm your host Salim Karsim
1: And I am your co-host, Hussam ad My co-host or their co-host? Uh, the podcast co-host
0: Okay, the podcast's co-host <laughs> um, Somewhat a regular feature now, Hassan. Somewhat uh, How's life? Life's
1: good, life's good You know what, I, I think, uh, again I'm very happy to be here for this podcast I think that the... The person in question that we have chosen to speak to today is someone that I really respect. And um, after the details, I, I didn't know who she was until you told me about her background. Okay. But I was very impressed with the work it's that she does. Great way to introduce a guest <laughs> on the podcast. Fantastic. <laughs> I'm just being real, I'm just being real. But um, very inspirational stuff. And uh, so,
0: so so, before we chat about the guests, just yeah. very quickly, we've, we've started a, a, a Facebook group facebook group for the podcast um we'll put the link in the description um or the 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 show notes whatever they're called um but it's a place where we'll kind of tell you about upcoming guests where people can put questions forward for that specifically and then also like at times continue the conversation depending on what we're talking about i think like we wanted to kind of create a community space for people to be able to come together and, and talk about this podcast that the, the, the mm. hundreds and thousands of, of of listeners that we have yeah That yeah <laughs> anyways um but yeah the link will be in the description do join and, and, and get involved i guess in the conversation and, and we want to hear feedback like i've mentioned it loads of times but feedback's really important um what kinds of topics guests anything else that you want to hear it's, it's a good and, and i'm, I'm an avid
1: that. podcast listener i will say this that sometimes the greatest podcast that i listen to i'm always like I wish there was somewhere where I could post this question to either the interviewer or the interviewee. Perfect. And something that the, t- the TMV guys... So all those have,
0: questions that you have, post yeah. it on the TMV page.
1: Yeah, I, I don't know if I'm an avid listener of the TMV podcast.
0: <laughs> <laughs> wow. All right, moving on. Um, so, yeah, t- today we're speaking to uh, Rimla Akhtar, who is a um, football association counsellor in the Um and is also involved with the rugby league and was the former chair of the Muslim Women in Sports Foundation. Um, she, mashallah, keeps herself very active um, in, in all these fields. And, and uh, we spoke to her about loads of things. Um, from... Is it
1: we're going to speak to her about? Yeah, but you know what I mean. People know this. Is it and... intro? Even well, so people spoke... know it's
0: pretty much recorded afterwards. <laughs> okay. Sorry to, if you thought this was like... <laughs> Anyways, yeah. So we are going to speak to her about... Um, Things, including the FIFA hijab ban Yes um, From 2007-2014 Blew me away I'm so baffled I did not actually know about this There was um, a
1: hijab ban
0: Yeah in, in FIFA In FIFA So that's G- football. A global A global hijab ban um, That I had no clue about either
1: In 2007 That was like Haseeb like had no I, clue either When I was yeah? in high school
0: Wow Yeah sorry let, let's, let's finish the intro And then we can discuss Um also just generally the topic of diversity and inclusion and uh, racism within the community we also at one point very close to the end asked her for tickets for the euro 2020 final Um, and we will keep you guys updated on the podcast um, facebook group as to whether we're successful in 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 procuring those tickets or not but yeah i think that's pretty much it without further ado here's our conversation with uh, rimla Salam, Rimla. Uh Thank you very much for for joining us on the podcast today. As well. um, so, in terms of introducing you, uh, there's a lot of titles that you kind of have. Um, you're you're a trustee, I believe, of the Muslim Women in Sports Foundation, and the former chair. Are you not anymore?
2: No, no. I actually stepped down at the, the end of last year.
0: So. Okay the very the good. internet the internet needs to be told that. <laughs> 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 um, but you're also an FA counsellor um, and, and you're involved in the Rugby League is that correct?
2: Yeah I'm on the board of Rugby League so I just joined them uh, a few months ago in, in October
0: So you keep yourself pretty busy then I Amazing. think it's fair to say
2: I mean I think I'm still part-time technically so um, the <laughs> portfolio of roles um, but yeah I think I'm at my max probably at the moment <laughs>
0: That's awesome it, I guess in terms of um, very briefly, we want to we want to discuss loads of different things um, relating to, I guess, Muslim women, sports, football, um, the FAE, and, and all of this kind of rugby stuff. Rugby as well, do forget. And rugby. I'm not a big rugby <laughs> fan. I'm, I'm a big rugby fan. <laughs> Hassan's a guy for that. That's why but he's you, here. Union you,
2: or league, though? Sorry? <laughs> Sorry? Union or league, Hassan?
0: League, of course.
2: Of course, good. Okay, course. good to <laughs> hear
0: <that. laughs> I, I don't know if I'd believe him. Um, but he, I think initially it's probably interesting to to understand from yourself um, how you got so involved in the in the sporting sphere in in these organizations um, and I guess from like a young age what the motivation inspiration was and and what your kind of journey was to find yourself where you are today
2: yeah so I um I'm the only girl in our families I've got two older brothers um I always say it was bound to happen that I'd get into sport as a result you know they're, they're my heroes they always were from a young age so um, you know anything that they did I wanted to do as well uh, mm. um, so that meant playing football with them you know outside on the field that we had outside our home uh, or it meant playing cricket in the back garden or you know the usual stuff that you did as a child growing up um, but also my um, my mother and her mother and it kind of the women in our family have, have been into sports from, from a young age as well um, so my mum was like sports president for years at her school before she came to the UK and, and it's just in our blood I guess so I've always had a passion for sport, I love the sport, but I think it grew particularly because sort of growing up in the late 80s into the 90s, it was a really difficult time to be Asian. And then as time went on, more dif- you know, difficult to be visibly Muslim. And yet the sports field for me was, was a place where I felt like the colour of my skin or this piece of cloth that I wear on my head didn't seem to matter. Hmm. I felt like my ability was all that mattered. And I happened to be good at a few sports. So I kind of progressed at school level, then county level, regional level, and then internationally. Oh, wow. um, so I just, I mean, but it was never, it was never a career. It was never even in my head that I could get into sports administration or just a career in sports. And I think growing up, I was that typical Asian kind of girl going, right, what, what am I going to do? I'm going to become a doctor. Now I'm not going to become a doctor. Then think about something else. I never thought about sport. Um, So I kind of fell into it because when I captained the British Muslim Women's Futsal Team um, in Iran, we um, had this sense of wanting to give back as players to the team because it was all volunteer-led. And uh, that's how I got involved with the Muslim Women's Sport Foundation. Mm. Um, And then when we came back from the 2005 Games, because these are like an international Olympic-style tournament, And when we came back from those games, um, I just wanted to do more. And so voluntarily I became chair of the foundation um, and led them until the end of last year Um, and just doors have opened as a result of that. And I realized that I can leave my finance career, you know, in the back on the back burner and and just focus on sports because that's what I love so much.
1: Amazing. And and where do you think that that transition happened from, because, uh, you know, men and women both uh you find people trying to get into uh playing at county level international level um and then as as they feel like their career can't progress they they tend to move away completely um where at what point do you think that transition happened where you felt like you know actually there's a way for me to get into the administration side of sport and help help to develop um the future of sport for women um like yourself
2: I mean, for me, it wasn't like this moment where, you know, aha moment where I sort of thought, you know, this is it. I'm going to do this. Um, I kind of gradually, you know, Allah opened up doors and I gradually just walked through them actually. (laughs) And when that Mm -hmm. happens, you know, it feels right and it it feels good. And you know, it's good for you. So um, I, I worked in the city at, at, at PwC. And that's when I joined PwC is when I became chair of the foundation at the same time. So Actually, whilst I was doing all this stuff around business and strategy over there, I was applying all of that to the foundation and helping the organization grow. Right,
1: okay. um,
2: so it kind of, it was happening in parallel. And um, just in 2007, actually, um, and, and just before that, you know, the FA heard about the good work that we were doing at the foundation. And they said to us, uh, myself and my colleague, Aishabdin, who was, who was the vice chair at the time. Um, you know, said to us, come and teach us what you're doing, show us the best practice, show us how to make football more inclusive for women of ethnic minorities and and Muslim background. Um, And and, and that's really how the door started to open. So it was like, I did that piece of work for them. Then they asked me to get involved with the Race Equality Advisory Group. Then another group, and another group, and then eventually I've ended up uh, on elected to the FA Council by my peers. So it's been it's been a gradual journey. But I think once I got onto the council was when I really thought about it because I took a career break from BWC uh, for, for just to spend more time with my mum actually. But um, just took some time out and really thought about it and. You know, we we had a conversation at home about it. That actually, my the stuff that I do in sport for free, you know, I could easily make that my my day to day job. Mm -hmm. And um, so I set out on that path, and uh, was told that I'm ruining my career by some people. I was I was more important. It was more important for me that I had fun and um, was with you know my family time and uh, my my work time was balanced in that way. And Alhamdulillah, I've got that. I think yeah. it's
0: it's incredible that you you've um by by currently being an FA counselor you're you've achieved you've broken through kind of a glass ceiling in that you're the first Muslim female hijab wearing um FA counselor in in, in, in I think an industry that is pretty white if I can say that um of, of often middle-aged older men kind of in the, in that sphere and and you've just come in. And as you said, like, and when we spoke, uh, I think it was earlier this week or last week, you were talking about the fact that initially you were involved in kind of race and inclusion type um, roles and, and committees and whatever else. But then you've kind of climbed through the ranks and you're there in your own right, not as like a tokenistic um, quota, if that makes sense. Yeah. Although that's kind of almost what got you through the door. But now you're there in your own right, um, which is, I guess, a credit to you and, and, and the hard work that you put in.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, like you said just there that I was um, elected from the Inclusion Advisory Board to go onto the council specifically because there wasn't diversity on the council. So they wanted a couple of people from the Inclusion Board to, to help to create change from within. So it wasn't just let's tick those boxes, we've got two people, but actually as those two reps from the Inclusion Board, what are we going to do to create change within the council and then filter down mm. through through the county FAs, et cetera, the whole system? And so, like you say, in some ways, it, it was a tick box, but it was it was a deliberate one to say, we've got to do some positive action initiatives to to help the change happen. We need to initiate that change. And that's where it started from. Um, but actually, if you now look at it um, across the last five years that I've been involved, we're seeing uh, more diversity onto the council naturally happening through the usual processes where people aren't being placed onto the council, but they're actually being elected by their local constituents, as it were, mm. to come onto the FA Council. We're seeing more diversity on the boards at a county level. And that that kind of pool of talent at that level is really important to then go to the national level at the FA. But when I first joined council, you know, it was about just under a hundred people on council, I think, roughly. Mm. And I was one of uh, four women in total. Mm. Wow. Wow, um, oh, that's incredible one, one of well, incredibly
1: bad
0: celebrating that fact. <laughs> it,
2: was, it was about recognizing that something needs to change yeah um, and so i was one of three people of color so there were two women uh, myself and uh, another woman heather abatz who was on the board uh, at that time and then you know both heather and i took two boxes in that sense i guess because we were non-white women um but yeah it's you know that was the state then but if you look at the council now it's a lot more women many more ethnic minorities coming through Um and if i look at the talent pool lower down in the counties like i say it's starting to diversify there and therefore i'm hopeful that that will impact at the fa council level
1: and and i'm very intrigued because i think i think you've you've created uh, an incredible domino effect w- within within the you know the the, the diversity and inclusion um but I'm, I'm just personally intrigued myself. What What is like a top plan kind of strategic things that you kind of help to work on to, to kind of push, push the diver? A very
0: polite way of saying, what do you do? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I
2: kind of sense that's the news. <laughs> okay, just, just making sure. But um, yeah, I, I, it varies from organisation to organisation. So rugby league will be different to, to football. Football will be different to, I'm also on the board of the Sports Ground Safety Authority. You know, what you talk about, is really about the key issues that face that organization. So the usual sort of stuff that you do uh, within the business world around, you know, financially, uh, strategy, you know, what's your strategy for the next four to eight years, et cetera. But how are we progressing along the way? Um, you know, what are the challenges we're facing? That kind of stuff, really, at the high level. We're there to support the executive and the team that that delivers everything. So I think there's something like 900-odd staff at the FA um, across you know all locations, and um so it's you know they're doing a heck of a lot of work, and we're just there to support them, really. But I was one of the major decisions. Like, if if you want to consider, you know, what an F, it's it's actually FA council meetings as important they, as they are. They can be a bit dry. Yeah, uh, yeah I, I think every really
0: every, council <laughs> meet, I I think every council meeting. That's uh, why I was really every council meeting can be can be but, pretty dry. Um,
2: But you do often get the odd thing which, you know, generates interest. So we had um, Shahid Khan wanting to buy Wembley Stadium, right? So that was discussed at the FA Council as well, Um, kind of really thinking through, you know, what's the best thing for the game uh, in the long term, not just the short term, et cetera. So it can get a bit interesting at times.
1: And specifically for diversity and inclusion, was there any initiatives or anything like that that you felt helped uh, to progress the way that the FA were doing things?
2: Yeah, I mean, we had when I first um, joined the inclusion board. It was back at the end of 2013. We had uh, a 92-point plan. So there were 92 different things uh, that they wow. wanted to do across the whole of football. So, you know, FA can influence a certain amount, but then it's about all the other partners and, and how much they can help and support. So, um, yes, yeah, so there was a 92-point plan, which was very um, ambitious. It was, it was ambitious, and, <laughs> and I think a lot of it was achieved. But what with any of these plans you get to a certain stage you've achieved what you've achieved and then it's time to step it up again and so at the moment we've got this plan called the in pursuit of progress plan and um that's covering areas like coaching obviously and getting black and asian coaches into visibly into coaching positions because we have so many who are qualified but don't get the opportunities to to actually you know use their qualification at at the highest level so one part of that program for example is where We've got a coach placement program, so we've got Black and Asian coaches who are going where the FA can influence, which is they're going into the England teams. So from the under-15s right up to the senior teams, we've got a coach that's going into each of those teams and wow. um, shadowing, as well as getting involved with some of the coaching um, at those um, at those levels. And that's on the women's side and the men's side. So um, it's you know there's some good stuff there. There's also stuff around governance and changing the culture, fighting discrimination, all qu- all kinds of stuffs in there. Um, That's but no, ninety-two a, things in there, right? No, no not <laughs> ninety-two. A little bit more strategic, maybe. I don't um, but yeah, it's um, it's ambitious still. You know, yeah. also about the workforce and diversifying the workforce. Um, so there's some really really important targets like leadership diversity, so more ethnic minorities in leadership of football, etc. And we've actually got um, a sports code for governance across sport that, that applies to all the national national governing bodies like the FA. But um, we're going to apply a similar code to our counties now. So that will help to diversify mm, as well. That's
0: really cool. So I, we're kind of
2: leading the
0: way. I was going to say, I, I do want to talk more about um, the the whole diverse, diversity inclusion um, space. And I think it'll be interesting to also get your thoughts on, like from a uh, ethnic minority perspective, why more people aren't getting into sports and if there are barriers, their culture and whatever else. But... I think what I found the most interesting out of all the the research that I was doing around this was that I I don't know if many people will know that there was a, a hijab ban in football that was imposed by FIFA in 2007. Um and and it's it's crazy like I, I mentioned it to Sam and he was like what I was baffled um it's it, a, a, and all, so I'm I'm sorry we all were. Uh... Yeah, but this is the thing, and obviously, as a as a hijab wearing Muslim woman who yeah. is is actively playing sports and whatever else, and and you know at a very high level, this must have kind of really affected you. Know? I know you were also involved in helping to get the ban um, overturned. So, can can you? I guess for people that don't know, can you tell us a, a little bit about the story? I guess from from the top.
2: Yeah, it was um, as with any of these things. I think it was just a really ridiculous situation where um, a a young girl, I think she was about 15 years old in Canada, who wore the hijab, um, was playing a game in Canada, obviously in Toronto, I believe. And um, the referee just refused to let her play uh, because she was wearing hijab. He, He said to her, you can't play with that. It's not safe. And um, you know, considering she's probably played in it her entire life and hasn't had a problem, and neither have thousands of us across the country, uh, across the world, in fact. <laughs> um, I found it interesting that a referee could decide that for us. But um, anyway, so so she refused to take her hijab off. Uh, her teammates backed her up. Um, mm-hmm. She ended up getting red carded, and wow. um, that then hit the you know just hit the media headlines in in Toronto, obviously. Um, and then, kind of, it went a bit global after that. So that was back the team, in The team.
0: The team withdrew from the tournament. Is that correct? In kind um, of solidarity um, with her.
2: I think that was actually later on. Another case happened, not in football, but I believe okay. other sport. But they, they, they were. I'm, I'm not 100 percent sure on that part actually. So right. my memory fails me there. But um, it, it might well have been. I know that she had the support of her coach and her her teammates. So they might well have done that. They might have yeah. forfeited the game. Um, but yeah, so that kind of hit the headlines it it got it came across the waters to the u k and mm. um so this is the bit of the boring bit, so where FIFA has this organization within it called ifab, so basically that's the body within FIFA that sets the laws of the game, right, so everything, and that includes the kit, which is law four so um they were having their regular, like already scheduled meeting of IFAB, which consists of four uh, people from FIFA or four representatives from across FIFA. And then the other four positions, one is held by each of the home countries. So actually it's a bit of a weird one, but that's how it is. So anyway, they were having a meeting in Manchester, just I think about a week after that incident. And um, it was rushed onto the agenda for that, for that meeting. So
1: was, and, and how, how many how many non-white males was in the room?
2: Um <laughs> I think you can guess that you can guess who made the decisions. Let's that uh, and you know, it was just it was amazing that they came out of Manchester and basically said, "Yep, we've banned the hijab and any other headgear." So it was not just the hijab; it was the turban, kit, you know, Yalmuk, everything. Um, oh. And there was actually a line in, the, in, this, in this law which was along the lines of um, "no." That's where the no political religious statements on the field of play are allowed. I think came from. Yeah. Um, so it was interesting. On the one hand, they were saying it's a safety issue. On the other hand, they were saying it's a religious statement issue. So it was a bit of a weird situation. So anyway, us at the foundation, we um, you know, I wrote to all the home country nations because ultimately. If that ban was put in place or if that law was changed that means one of our home countries voted for it um, so i wrote to all of them i got a response from a couple including obviously the english fa um, and we pushed it as much as we can eventually um, because the georgian women's team obviously some of them wear the hijab and prince ali was was involved at fifa executive level at that stage um, he took took it on as as his project. And um, that's really how I got involved. So he, you know, he and I worked together a little bit around or his team and I worked uh, together a little around, you know, how are they going to get this through IFAB? How are they going to make sure that, um, that the rule gets overturned and hijabs are allowed? And it's ridiculous again, but for two years, they had to have a testing period where they tested a particular sports hijab which was designed by a company that had magnetic strips on on there so no pins nothing a magnetic strip so the issue was um that they were worried that we'd get strangled by our hijab um and uh, they didn't think that you know the collars of, of shirts will do that but the hijab obviously will it's, it's um, so nice
0: it's so nice when non-muslims care so much about our well-being yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's really refreshing
2: so much so
0: that they that's wanted a to joke. make sure <laughs> thank you so much. um so but God. no it, feel, it feels good that people care this much i'm, I'm really happy no,
2: we, we were really genuinely touched with the two-year testing period we really were um two years two years it took for them wow. to prove that the that this hijab if you pull it it will come off so Can, can, a-
0: can i just say we, we were discussing it's on a bit of a tangent but i was discussing with hasib just before this about um do you remember those scooters that was like the, the thing that kids go on with two wheels yes yeah do you remember how growing up when we had them they were like fully metal yeah and they're really dangerous now they're all kind of plastic and they've looked up they were metal for years yeah. nobody cared but i'm as i said i'm glad that when it comes to us yeah it, it, we, are looked after. A, we are looked after no that's yeah. great
2: so much so that actually once we alhamdulillah we, we managed to overturn the hijab ban at that stage um, so much so that basketball then decided to ban the hijab straight after that. So, wow, uh, yeah, good time.
0: <laughs> <That was crazy. laughs> I, remember, I remember actually the hijab, uh, the, the basketball ban. Um, I think it's Asma, a sister up in Bradford, um, yeah. that was quite involved with dealing with that. Um, yeah. We went to meet her a few years ago and then we ran an article on that as well. Yeah, yeah no, I, I, it's, it's, I, 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 the thing is, as a sort of football fan and someone that has like followed the game my whole life, I'm just surprised that I had never come across it. Um,
2: I guess unless and, it affects you, you're not really going to be exposed to yeah. it. Yeah, it's one of those things. And and I mean, Asma did a great job along with um, Tiki from America. So, there's a sister called Indira Kaljo, who's Bosnian American, who mm. was playing and wanted to actually go pro in the European leagues, and she couldn't because the hijab ban. Um, but they they both they, they did this campaign, FIFA, FIFA allow hijab campaign, which was fantastic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So many signatures. But the, the key person, you know, I did my bit behind the scenes with our Basketball Federation and trying to get to FIBA and, and putting the pressure on like I did with FIFA. But the key person that made this happen was Bilkis abdul So I don't know if you've heard her story, but really I'd encourage your listeners as well to, to Google her story because it's so emotional. She Her whole career was going to be, be basketball and this band came in just as she was about to go pro and she was like a record-breaking... Um, point guard, I think. Um, just an amazing player whose career was just totally just ended by white old men making decisions. Um, that's, that's, that's crazy. That they, that they don't understand. So, alhamdulillah, she's a lot better now and she's come through, but it's, you know, she was massive in this whole process. But yeah, these, these are the decisions that are made.
0: And um, I, I feel like these it. are the same people that probably introduced VAR into football as well.
2: <laughs> Let's not <pick> VAR. <laughs>
0: I don't think she's allowed to comment on VAR. She's, she's meant to support it. Um, don't get in trouble. Don't get me in trouble. No, no, no. It's fine. Me and Hassan, you can just wait there for five minutes we'll, we'll make and get Hassan moan about yeah. uh, VAR. No, but it, it's um, it's it's interesting. Like it, it's genuinely um, quite sad that that's, that it's it's taken so much of a fight um to 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 overturn that and i- g- I guess also the fact that it came in, in two thousand and seven um is quite surprising if it was like a historic rule that was there for a long time, that's fine, but it's like it happened in two thousand and seven, which feels pretty recent
1: yeah and and it's a strong reminder that you know the we've made a lot of progress in recent years when it comes to the diversity inclusion and 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 great work from from people such as yourself has has helped us as, as a community. But I think there's, um there's definitely, you yeah. know, um, we're not long gone from, from people in high places making decisions that really can, you know, hurt us basically. So, so yeah, so credit to you for the work. The work I guess, yeah, do. thank
0: you on behalf of. Yeah, of, I want to thank you. On behalf of <laughs> us and, and, and all the women globally that can now play football wearing the headscarf. Like, you know, genuinely yourself and everyone that, yeah. that was involved, like have, have done a great service to the community and to just people around the world. So, and it's all religions as well. I, I saw stuff about the tur- about turbans, kippers, and everything else. Um, so I, I, that's that's. It's sad that we have to make progress like this, but we've 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 made progress. So so. I mean, on, a positive, on a positive, on yeah. a
2: One of the reasons why they've not had to consider it before is because there weren't we weren't as mainstream. And mm. um, um, if you look at it from a optimistic perspective, it means that there are more of us there, and therefore we're challenging people's understanding of things and yeah um that's a very positive spin on what happened but it's um it's still something i look at and go the more we do this the more uh you know the more of our girls that will get involved the more we'll be out there
1: and and i think that leads very very sweetly onto my next question which is um at, at the moment in in terms of sport in general uh what what do you think is it that stops uh, say women, women, Muslim women or women in hijab that you feel um, contributes to them choosing not to get involved in sports beyond uh, school level?
0: You know what's mad? Sorry, I was going to ask exactly the same question. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm not even joking. Congratulations. <laughs> you guys are syn- vibing. You're
2: synced. You're good. Um, <laughs> um, I think things have moved on a lot since I first became chair of the foundation. So back then, you know, even even the futsal team, right? So there the, yes. were 15 odds of us girls, 12, 12 of us that got finally selected. And um, if you asked each of us, our journey so, was so similar in that we were the only Muslim women hijab-wearing or non-hijab-wearing that were in the teams that we played in, so at school yeah. or outside of school. Um, and so actually coming together... In 2001, for the first time, was just amazing because you suddenly found people that you could relate to, and and you 100%. know, you know, I when I was at university, you know, the girls would go for a drink after a game, and I couldn't really get involved with that. I couldn't relate to to everything else outside of the football space, and so here mm. was this bunch of girls who I really, you know, got me, and I got them. So, I think. We were just so um, it wasn't usual for us to be in the sporting landscape and to be visible. So actually, since then things have changed so much, and I think that's largely because we're seeing the stories of Muslim women, hijab wearing and non hijab wearing Muslim women, who um, are visibly role models for a lot of girls growing up. So and that can be at every level. So it might be Ibtihaj Muhammad, who's you know fencing for the US um, and and you know doing her thing globally and doing an yeah. amazing job there. Through to, um, uh, you know, I've forgotten the name now uh, of this, this woman just recently, the Indonesian woman who's a climber and um, she's called the oh, Indonesian I saw, Spider- I saw that video. Yeah. I saw that
0: video. She's unbelievable. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But
2: girls like her, through to uh, Kubra, who's a taekwondo uh, expert, and you know we see videos of her and and her partner doing amazing stuff. So we're starting to see these women visibly in in uh, social media space and just general media space, and so we're hearing their stories, and that is what is what I think has encouraged a lot more Muslim girls and women to take up sport. Um there's the usual issues for girls generally you know like at school your experience of PE might not be positive you know that's just how it tends to be but I think that's getting better but also on the community side I don't think we encourage our girls enough to be active mm. I think that's changing because of our generation of parents and and sort of slightly older maybe who have kind of gone we need to be healthy we need to be active and and you know how important that is so I think that's changing um, but it's going to take but
0: they, time. But arguably, there's still like a big mindset, mind, mindset shift. It's harder to say than I thought it would be. Um, but that needs to take place amongst our sort of parents' generation. Um, and I think there's a a couple of reasons. So number one is is that a lot of um, second, third generation migrants came to this country with nothing and built themselves up. And it was all about survival. And I've, yep. I've, we've discussed this probably to death on the podcast, but it's important in that from a contextual perspective, they want their kids to be stable. They want their kids to, to earn loads of money so that they can provide for future generations and establish themselves or ourselves in this country. Um, the, the second um, side to it is now actually eluding me a little bit. It was... Um, da, da, da. This is awkward. This is awkward. Let's talk about that bit first. Yeah, yeah, I'll I'll pick (laughs) pick up the second one in in a bit.
2: I think what you've talked about there is really valid. And I think that's for ethnic minority communities as a whole, immigrant communities as a whole. Um, So boys and girls in that, you know, for example, my brother, both of my brothers were scouted by Barnet FC. Now, Barnet FC were good when they got scouted. I'll just say that now. They work. They work. Were <laughs> they the they're top. still decent. They were just one and division the old division one and two. Right? Yeah. <laughs> they, they, they were they were doing really well, and my brothers were scouted. Um, and as Asian boys, because um, we actually grew up in North London in Edgware.
1: I grew up in Barnet, well.
2: Okay, so I, I I
1: still wear the Bon FC kit to the gym. <laughs> Are you serious? Twice a week, I swear. I, 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 I didn't know you <laughs> go to the gym. <laughs> like go on, yeah. Um, Sorry. No, no,
2: no. So, so they were scouted, but it was really difficult for my mom to take them to training three times a week on top of madrasa, on top of school and education and homework, and top of
1: everything
2: yeah. you know, uh, that you deal with as an immigrant family, um and so you know on top of all the social issues like racism so it's it, it, it was very difficult i think for our parents to prioritize sports and understandably mm. so um sports and we're talking about two different things here one we're talking about active and being active active as an individual and the other thing is as a career
1: yeah
2: and i think we've started to see more and more black players now because you know the pioneers like the civil Regis's, etc back in the day than john barnes as i was growing up they were the ones that were playing, and then young black boys and their parents, more importantly, could go. My boy can do that because because he's mm. doing it on on match of the day or or whatever it was. Um, we need so there's that. That's one side of it for me. There's also the side of it which is the um the, the actual sports industry, and for years and years and years, certainly while I was growing up, um, probably until the last five or six years. Sports governing bodies, any sport, didn't have a clue how to how to engage Muslim women in sport. Um, Mm -hmm. They didn't realise, you know, the kind of environment you need to create for them to to be a positive environment for them, one that their parents will be culturally okay with as well. Um, And so actually, it's only in the last five or six years that sports governing bodies have kind of gone, oh, there's a target audience that we have because Muslim women are still the most inactive across the UK. I think when I first started at the foundation, it was something like only 7% of Muslim women are as active as they need to be. Um, Wow. But yet, at the same time, about five years later, so in sort of 2010, when we did a little bit of research, we found out there's like a 70% latent demand. So that means so many Muslim women want to take part in sport, but Mm -hmm. sport was always like, oh, this is how we've always done it. This is how we're always going to do it. Well, they're not going to come to you if you keep doing that. So what we showed them through the foundation was Hear the way we do it, and if you want to join us and and do what we do, then you'll get the girls coming, and and that's what's happening now. So now, sports organisations themselves can go. We know what to do because of the so work I, been done.
0: Them. I, I've just remembered my second point. Yeah. Um, if I can come back to it, it, it was uh, um, on the the topic of women's football more broadly. So not looking at the Muslim community, but just the notion that there isn't really a career to be had in women's football. If we look at football specifically um and and um looking at for example the 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 lionesses and their kind of journey and also like them being called the lionesses I'm sure they've always been called the lionesses but I only found that out a few years ago. Um and it was only the last World Cup that just took place and the one before uh where it really became a thing and the women's game and like even at the beginning of this season I remember I was driving in the car and they were announcing the results from women's Premier League games which I've, i had never heard before, like a few months ago. Yeah. Um, and, and I almost feels like it's a chicken and egg situation. It's like the media won't respect it. If there's not enough money in the game and there won't be enough money in the game if the media don't respect it. Um, and, and I think for consumers of football and for people that want to get into the sport as well, if they're not able to see the Alex Scott's of this world as genuine role models, because they're not actually getting to visibly see them, um, then there's always going to be this kind of uh different approach to that as opposed to the men's game where obviously there is loads of money and even if like if if you're an asian dad and your kid is supremely talented there's no way you wouldn't let him go down that route if you think there's potential to 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 make it you know go to the big time yeah but for a woman or for a girl young girl whatever it might be it doesn't it, because the risks are so high and it's just a slim chance, it just doesn't feel as enticing a proposition or as as yeah. as wise a decision to make. Does that make sense?
2: I understand what you mean. I think um, this applies across all sports, but I think football is actually a lot more advanced. We've seen the women's game grow massively yeah. at, um, over the last, I would say, I would say particularly the last ten years, and then more acutely and more, I think, quicker over the last four years. Yeah, and that's largely because the investment into the game has increased significantly, and that's just—it's what you said earlier on, right? It's chicken and egg. If you if you talk about growing the game, professionalizing it, um, giving women the ability to not have not have to have dual careers, so yeah, you know, if you look at some of the lionesses that played even last year, um, but certainly the whole team that played in 2015. Most of them had, you know, had to pay, pay to play. They had to pay for their wow. professions, sessions. They had to pay for their kit. They had to pay for travel. They, ha- they did it all because they loved the game. Yeah. Um, but they had jobs on the side as well. And, and, you know, they'd go to training after work and all that kind of stuff. Now, the vast majority, and if I just talk about football here, because that's the area I do you know, the vast majority of women within the structures, uh, the, the kind of pro, semi-pro structures of, of the women's game, they still have, they still have dual careers, and mm. um, it's a problem.
1: And what do you think is the, what do you think is the reason for the increased investment more of, of late?
2: Like? I think people are just. There's a real, there's been a real movement for women's sport and women in sport for the last kind of, like I say, ten years in particular. I think it's still a very white middle class woman's area is the sports Ooh. industry, and that's something that we've been pushing and I've been pushing personally for years, um, and we're starting to see that change a little bit um but but generally speaking i think that there's been a huge movement for women's sport and women in sport we've seen you know from a media perspective there's more female journalists and that has a massive impact in terms of those that are willing to take it seriously you know sort of in inverted commas um as, as people still tell me that that the women's games a joke and um i have to deal with that mm-hmm. um but uh, yeah, no, we're seeing more and more people across the entire sports industry who really take the game seriously, and take the women's take women's sports seriously, and individuals at corporate organisations who recognise that you know women are half of society and they're going to make important decisions, they're going to be involved with you know family decisions, etc. So actually, we want to reach them as well. And if you look at the profile of Fans that watch the women's game in football, for example, it started off a lot with you know girls that played football that wanted to go and watch a women's team. But now you're getting so, for example, Chelsea women's team. Let's take um, who are fantastic. Um, It it pains me to say that, but um, they are they are great. And um, you know they uh, they they have fans that are not just you know women and girls who watch or play football. But actually the guys who watch the men's team, who have kind of taken the women's team on as, you know, we're one club. And so the men and the women's team for me are important and they all go to the games as well. So they go that's there crazy. as a Chelsea fan. Yeah, 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 It's the same up and down the country for some of the bigger teams, as it were, the, the sort of the women's Super League teams. Um, but that's, that's happening because people are kind of putting their biases to a side and going, it doesn't matter that it's a women's team. For me, it's just yeah. my club. And that's massive.
0: It's it's like, um, there's a, I think the Ajax fans, they go to like the under 15s training sessions, the fans, and they turn up and they start chanting and singing and have flares and stuff. Like they go over the top. But again, it's the same mentality where it's like, it doesn't matter what age it is, even if it's a training session, yeah, 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 we're yeah. still going to turn up and we're still going to rep the team because they just, they have so much passion yeah. um, for the team. So it, it, it makes sense that that kind of mentality can be um, very positive. And, and and transposed, if that's a word, I, I make transposed. up a lot of words. At the it world. is a word. I'm, I'm, yeah, it is a word. <laughs> it is a word. But Let's but assume it's the right advice, word. Okay. It's fine. <laughs> it's it's fine. We're, we're good. Um, we'll have to cut this bit. <laughs> no. Um, <laughs> what it, what I did want, <laughs> it is it is um, slightly separate. But but looking at from like a British Asian, um, perspective, in the Premier League, there's only been four British Asian footballers in the history of the Premier League. Um, off the top of my head, Zesh, Raymond, uh, Chopra, and is Asim Chowdhury from uh, Leicester? Oh, uh, no, has- Possibly. Uh, you
2: mean ch- I ch- asim G- I, just, I could have Plain? just named
0: like, my, my local imam for all I know. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, hold on, hold on, hold on. Hold on. Uh, no, probably... Yeah, yeah, yeah ch- Hamza, Hamza, Hamza Chowdhury. Yeah, pl- yeah, yeah, Hamza Chowdhury. It's Hamza, Hamza Chowdhury is also the guy down the chicken shop that's the problem it's like um, <laughs> yeah. but no, there's, there's only been four and I think like th- this issue of, of diversity and whatever else like we can talk about it from a Muslim perspective we can go back from a female perspective but I, I still think there's a there's a strange disconnect between the proportion of British Asians in the UK and how many of them become Premier League players and, and the answer is basically none like four in the history of the mm. Premier League um and, and i guess genuinely from from my own personal perspective I, i'm i'm keen to know what the fa are doing to address that because i i don't think it's the case that young um british asian boys and girls are are physically not as um good as the uh from other races so what's 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 happening there
2: i mean that just there that's just a stereotype that has been used against the asian community for years and um Is unacceptable.
0: I'd, I'd, I'd beat Hussain in a race, I reckon. <laughs> yeah, yeah, YouTube. <keep> <laughs> <laughs> so we need to do this one day, I'm, I'm curious to know.
2: I've, all, I've also been told that apparently our, our diet, our rotis and our, our curries and stuff are, are not good. Uh, you know, yeah, <laughs> yeah. All that, but I think that applies to everyone, not just the o- oil in the veins and all exactly, that stuff, the right? The key and everything else. But um no, in all seriousness, look, it's. Again, it's a really complex area and the FA recognises that. So for the last, well, ever since I've been involved with the race equality side of things at the FA, the Asian piece has been there, but it's it's kind of been at the back behind the sort of black community and, and particularly from a coaching perspective. And it's over the last um, sort of five or six years that we've, put together a real plan for working with Asian communities. So we had the Bringing Opportunities to Communities plan, which was based on a roadshow of actually speaking to Asian communities up and down the country and saying, what is it that we need to do better? I think that worked to a certain degree. We achieved what we wanted to achieve. Um, But playing is quite unique, I would say. So that plan wasn't just about players. It was about coaches, scouts. Um, referees it was about administrators every area of the game and that's what the fa can influence playing wise that comes down to the clubs so we can do everything that we want we want in terms of qualifying asian coaches and qualifying talent scouts and everything like that and getting um, if, if those scouts and those coaches don't go into the clubs themselves as scouts for the clubs they're not potentially going to go to the areas where there's a huge Asian community or there might be that person that, mm-hmm. you know, a young boy or a girl that can that can come into their academy. There are a few. So we've had Jan Dunder as well, Adil Nabi and his brother. Um, so these kind of guys have been through the system, but they are few and far between. Um, and we're actually right now going through a process of re-engaging with the communities that um, to look at the plan going forward, like what more needs to be done. But the whole game needs to come together um and and that's what i mean so there's there's a real imperative on the clubs to get this piece right um some have done things like chelsea have actually done something called asian star but i'm not sure how effective it was so i, I haven't seen the numbers from it but i'm not sure how massively effective that was um but i
1: i do think it goes back to your earlier point because um i'm going to share a personal story here oh wow i was uh i was pretty good at rugby i would say back in school and um although i'm i'm middle eastern but uh, I think this, this applies to the Asian community as well is um, I I was pretty good at rugby, but, and I was uh, I was meant to get, uh, I think I was meant to go to some trials. The only problem I had was that they, they all took place on a, on a Saturday and- Arabic school. Arabic school. Oh yes. And so my, I, I will never forget the day that I, I tried to convince my mom that, listen, I, I need to go to this trial.
0: Was it a slipper off conversation?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Side of the head, pretty much, pretty much. (laughs) That's how it went, and um, and and I'm pretty sure speaking to my Asian friends, they 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 a lot of them went to Quran classes or they went to Arabic school as well, Um, and that also took place on a Saturday. And although I do think now it is changing, I think I feel like a lot of that was the priorities for um, our parents' generation about what goes first for our kids and but it's always going to be islam in that situation it is it right? is and 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 rightly so but i think the way no, in i mean if you're if
0: you're framing madrasa as islam then yeah. yeah obviously that's going to come first exactly
1: but i think it's also the way in which you do it yeah. you know it's like
0: it, it, it could also be that your mom was just sparing you the embarrassment um, not thinking you were good enough
1: <laughs> that is true that is true although you, you did go to a school that played rugby but i never saw you on the pitch so uh <laughs>
0: <laughs> All right, let's uh let's move on. Um So the, the I think the last thing that that we should um discuss and I think is is something that's quite important is um the conversation around racism uh in football. Now, I think um arguably racism has definitely been on the decline um as the years have gone down, you know, looking at the footage from the 80s, um it, it was a a different landscape altogether. Um, And things are generally, I I believe, a lot better today, but there are still isolated incidents, Um, you know, quite notably Raheem Sterling came out and was speaking about um, anti-black racism that he faces. Um, There's a video of Mo Salah at a West Ham game, for example, and they're chanting Islamophobic things at him. Um, often in Europe but I think that's Europe is almost a, a separate situation altogether but there are still and, and then there was um, sorry Chelsea fans chanting about Mo Salah um, on one of their European games away and whilst the trend for me is on the decline I still feel like there are isolated incidents that keep popping up um, and that shouldn't um, and and it, I guess it's, it's understanding from, from your side what the club's are doing can do because I think there is a you know for me the culture of football has been quite quite bad in the past you know when we talk about um the the gangs and the the kind of the ultras um and 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 the hooliganism that we fums, have in, the, the thugs the firms 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 oh yeah maybe. okay cool yeah the has got a bit of culture there <laughs> so the, the firms and everything else like all, all of that background we've we've slowly got rid of um I think within the game but there's there's still these pockets of of microaggressions that take place, and it just it, it just feels like it it's constant and ongoing. Um, I yeah. Mean, so uh, what's being done?
2: I, um, there's a fair about um, there's a fair bit being done, but uh, it can I don't think it can ever be enough to be honest. If if there's still one incident happening, so from I think um, for me, having grown up dealing with re- racism around, you know as as anyone from a non-white background probably had to when they were growing up. Um, every incident of discrimination that happens, whether it's in the game or elsewhere, for me is is so concerning. It's it's heartbreaking, actually, um, because I know how it feels, um, and obviously unacceptable. And if I think about it, I, I'm not really shocked that, that racism has started to rear its ugly head within football as well. So yes, it went it died down quite a lot, although we saw other forms of discrimination coming through. So you talked about the recent stuff around Salah, but you would have also seen and I was a fellow Liverpool fan, you know this, but in ter- you know, in terms of like at Anfield, we had um, you know, some of our Asi- Muslim Asian fans were praying and theirs yeah, and, yeah, yeah. and then they were sort of, you know, fearing for their safety because because of people around them. Um we had that at West Ham as well. We've we've had instances um up and down the country. Um I remember in the early 2000s i think it was when mido was playing for for middlesbrough and there was a bomber chants there that's when the islamophobic chance started to come come through as well um yeah but i i think that what i do do is recognize and i've personally seen that and i'm sure you guys would have as well that discrimination is on the rise in society in general and you know whether it's racism uh, anti-black racism or anti-muslim racism or any other form of, of discrimination um For me, that has been on the rise and therefore we'd be naive, I think, at best to think that it's not going to filter into football. Um, That's not to say that it's not our fault in football. We have a role to play in this and actually using football as a force for good, uh, Mm. using the power of football, this intangible power that it has to bring communities together. 100%. Um, You know, I've had instances where going to games you know the match day experience is not a positive one i have to i have to think about um you know do i wear my hijab to a game when i go this time my brothers and i have this conversation like is it going to be safe for me if i go in my hijab or am i going to go back to wearing a baseball cap and a scarf around my neck just to make sure i blend in those are conversations and things that we shouldn't have to think about um but unfortunately we're forced to do that so for me it's about focusing on what we need to do about it and you said earlier on that there are microaggressions. I would actually say in some cases it's just blatant aggression and abuse and physical violence. In some cases that I've I've read about, particularly the grassroots. So we hear about Raheem. We hear about cases across uh, Europe where players have walked off or tried to walk off, um, as we saw very recently. Yeah. Um, but the vast majority of the incidents at the grassroots, and that's what troubles me the most. But,
0: but but I I think this is like reflecting on my own. Um, I'm going to say football career because why not, <laughs> um, but, but you know, my, my amateur football career, like the, 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 the framing of, of our experience playing on a Friday night power league was that we were the only Brown team and we used to get racially abused every week. Um, and, and it was the norm. And I would argue that like, it made us kind of stronger and, and, and shaped us in some way, but like, it's, I, I don't, I, I know everyone that was kind of my age growing up at that time, if they were playing for, like, a predominantly, um, I think, minority team, like, there was just a lot of racism that you faced, and, and that was just part of it.
2: And that's, um, uh, but the thing is, it shouldn't have to be that, and that's the thing. Nobody should have to think this is just part, and it's, it's, I guess it's the experience of us as Asians or Arab or Muslim or whatever it is that's part of our identity.
0: Arabs don't get it because they can just blend in. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> people, people like Hassan. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you can see he's been, he's been very quiet in the whole race was <laughs> like I'm fine <laughs> he was I mean ke- you he was know what to be, to be honest
1: with you that you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hold my hand up and say playing rugby although rugby I feel like it does happen less I i will say that I'm not sure if that's correct but based on personal experience and the fr- experience of my friends I feel it seems a lot more civilised generally you know what my school teacher said this rugby is a gentleman's game played by Hulu get by by thugs or whatever and football is a thugs game no no the opposite get way around opposite <laughs> way. <laughs> <laughs> wow no, you know what i was gonna say this about five minutes ago that i said oh no let me leave it because i'm gonna get the wrong way around and then I so go it on, clarify i'm actually you've lost can, me. You, can you know how you end my sentences can you like
0: okay so you you were saying that football is a gentleman's game played by thugs yes and rugby is a thugs game played by gentlemen. Okay, go. that makes well, so much more done. sense well now.
1: <laughs> there we go. There we go. So based on that, um, my experience was that um, people never realised at uh, me as uh, I think I do blend in somewhat yeah. uh, with my ginger beard. Uh, I, <laughs> I felt like on the rugby pitch it didn't happen as much ever. But I, even me with my uh, very amateur career in football, I did. I did when people would hear my name. Um, it's almost like it became normalised, and I think that did come off the back of yeah. people, people witnessing cases on TV mm-hmm. um, and that kind of thing. But I would, I would also put a word to to the the progress, which is you know uh, I was very, very humbled and almost emotional when I saw the Liverpool fans um, that you know off the back of Mo Salah playing um, for their team, kind of. Uh, yeah, their their yeah. positive chance and and their their actions and the cases where they were I don't know, what was it protecting a Muslim one time in some way in Liverpool so um, so yeah I think I think I think it is about looking looking um, and trying to do what we can to to be
0: role models
1: uh, and definitely. get more people in the sport
0: and I guess also to to end on a slightly positive note Euro 2020 is taking place in at Wembley Stadium. Yep, so, remember, the question for you is, uh, are me and Hussam going to be there? <laughs> <laughs> I was waiting for the,
2: the more direct kind of, can you get me tickets, but uh, let's <laughs> talk no, after. Yeah, okay. <laughs> that's, that's a result. <laughs> I wasn't I'm expecting up, that. that. I'll, say, I'll say it off now. Okay.
0: <laughs> <laughs> um, but no, I, I, I think it's, I mean, just, just looking back at, at, at sort of our, the entirety of our conversation, I, I think it's it's genuinely inspiring to see um, someone getting so actively involved because like we have these conversations all the time and everyone's like oh we need more more diversity we need this we need that and you can only really make change from within um and 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 your kind of a testament to the fact that it, you can get involved you can reach the kind of the, the top if we're looking at the fa structure and be able to be be a part of those conversations
1: and can i ask one one final question is maybe me personally and sometimes people I've spoken to they somewhat get put off by being that first person in that room with you know a bunch of white middle-aged men who you know look at you very differently what do you think any words of advice for the listeners or maybe words of advice for me because sometimes i feel me as 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 a man um, sometimes I feel like I'm the odd one out in some spaces that I work in um
0: what what yeah yeah
1: what do you what words of advice what things could you say to someone like me um to to give you to give us the encouragement to do go out and do what you've done basically to
0: be the change
2: i think for me and this might be a whole kind of uh thing again about you know you, I don't know about you but i've i grew up the first half of my life not being accepted because of the colour of my skin, the second half of of my life because of the hijab that I wear. And you go through a process of finding yourself, you go through a process of, well, I certainly did, where I felt like, you know, this is my identity, this is who I am, and I, I identify with absolutely every element of who I am as an individual. So I think that grounding, first of all, in who you are as a Muslim and what that means to you, who you are as any other aspect of your identity, male, female, Asian, Arab, etc. That for me is crucial, because Salim said it just a little while ago, actually, it is about just almost knowing that you can only change yourself. And so when I walk into rooms, and I'm the only one that looks like me, I'm less focused on that, and more about what I bring to the room, and I know what I bring. So really just focus on who you are, what you bring to, to the table, whatever that table is, or the field of play, whatever it is, um, and just believe in yourself, because ultimately, and I'm going to go a bit kind of preachery now, but for me, um, the the greatest grounding has come through my faith, and knowing that it's Allah that raises us, and um, raises us as, a, as humanity, not just Muslims, but as, as human beings. And... Nobody else can can bring me down because he raises me. So, um, if you know that, if you can have that confidence in who you are because of what you identify as, I think you you'll be fine in whatever room you go into.
0: I think that was a great way. Yeah, let's to end let's up. just let's just call it. Thank you so that was, much. That was that was great. I appreciate gonna, we're that so just going to butcher much. anything we, we might try and say <laughs> after that. Um, but no, thank you so much for your time. This has been really insightful and really um, inspirational inspirational conversation and I, I think um, just keep doing what you're doing
2: thank you please appreciate your support yeah. <laughs>
0: thank you very much
2: thanks guys
1: thanks
0: so that was our conversation with Rimla that was
1: indeed um, I think I said everything I needed to say man that was uh, someone to look up to in our community someone with uh, an amazing track record Another maverick and revolutionary. Wow, I would say
0: maverick and revolutionary. This is <laughs> it needs a it needs like a list on, on, on next to your desk of <laughs> mavericks and revolutionaries. Yeah, um, no, definitely. I think
1: um, uh, I, I, will, I use those two um, are they adjectives? Yes, they the are adjectives, adjectives. Yes, I use those two adjectives for the right people, and um, Rimna is definitely.
0: So, what are the adjectives you use to describe me then? Oof.
1: I don't know. I don't know if if do we, are we allowed to swear on this podcast? No, <laughs> <Wow>. all right. <laughs> no, no, I'm joking. But obviously, Sidney ma- ma- was. High revolutionary. Yeah, of course. Yeah, top of, top that, of list. that list.
0: Top of that list. Top of that list. Um, and, but yeah, no. I, like I, I think just her her ending was quite strong. It was a very good question by you. I'll give you that. I appreciate um, it. And and I think she she kind of sums up quite nicely. And and. Um,
1: now for real man, I think I think I, I I seen I've seen people encouraging women in sport through various ways and there are running clubs, there are um, teams, community initiatives and that stuff is all great. But I think like you said, um, you know, changing it from the inside It needs,
0: it needs a dual approach Like grassroots yes. is important yes. But like institutionally as well Getting in there 100%, 100%. And, and and it was interesting that She was quite open about the fact That it's like middle-aged white men Yeah, because I think, I think it's, it's, it's And uh, it's a known fact yeah, It's like yeah, politics yeah. When yeah. you look at the MPs It's the same kind of setup And so for someone like her To get in there um, uh, And And rise through the ranks i think is it's as you said it is is genuinely quite quite inspiring and very positive 100%. um and and hopefully we'll, we'll i guess pave a way in a future for yeah, future budding like sports stars yeah from diverse backgrounds to be able to to do something and and, sure. and, and get where their predecessors couldn't because yeah. there were doors closed to them for yeah. whatever reason yeah um And that's the cool thing about this. Of course, of
1: course. And it always takes that one person to kick that door through. Yeah. Get in that room and open.
0: Just just imagine you were playing rugby today.
1: Just imagine, you know? I mean. I didn't know this about you. I didn't know you were. Yeah, and and I, I still only speak about three words of Arabic, you know? What's that got to do with your rugby? As in I sacrificed my rugby for Oh I school. get it, I get it, sorry sorry, my <laughs> bad. I, I just thought you were just <laughs> random, random Hussam facts I speak three <laughs> words of Arabic
0: I could have been a professional <laughs> rugby player, I wasn't I have <laughs> Bose headphones Thanks yeah. some. Yeah. So I, um, I'm a photographer, thank you, anything else you'd like to share With us today? No, 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 really?
1: I'll give you nuggets Along the way, <laughs> <laughs> stay tuned
0: Alright, well um, I think it's probably a good place to, to wrap up Thank you for, for listening to another episode Of the Muslim Vibe podcast the tmv podcast brought to you by the muslim vibe is the clarification i need to make um be sure to subscribe and and follow and share and join the facebook group and like follow hassam on instagram you know just do it all um but yeah thank you very much and we'll see you again next time week whenever next week yeah sorry bye